We see in this passage God calling to Abram. Speaking to Abram. Even, as we talked about last week, condescending to Abram. God is saying to Abram in this section substantially, turn your allegiance toward me. Come under my wings, as it were. God is coming to Abram and substantially offering to Abram to be his God, to care for him, and calling Abram to a response of belief and trust and faith. We're going to cover three things tonight about the call of Abram. Let's begin with the first one. The call was to trust God's promises. Substantially, as I just said, what God is doing here, substantially, is calling Abram to trust Him. To trust in the promises that He makes to him. There is a call for a response. Go from your country and from your kin's kindred and, to your fa- and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Why would Abram do such a thing? Because, in verse 2, Yahweh says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And later on, in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram again and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Fundamentally, God is calling for a response from Abram to go because of who Yahweh is and what Yahweh has promised to do to him. If Abram doesn't believe God's promises contained in verses 2 and verse 3 and verse 7, then there is no reason why he would do what Yahweh tells him to do in verse 1, which is to go up from his country and his kindred and his father's house to the land that Yahweh will show him. Unless Yahweh really will make him a great nation, unless Yahweh really will bless him, unless Yahweh really will make his name great, unless Yahweh really will bless those who bless him, and curse those who dishonor him. Unless Yahweh will see to it indeed that in Abram all the families of the earth shall be blessed, there is no reason whatsoever for Abram to go up from his country and from his kindred and from his father's house to the land that Yahweh will show him. Because if Yahweh doesn't make good on those promises, Abram wastes the rest of his life. So fundamentally, God is calling Abram to trust His promises. And this call of Abram is non-relatable for us in one way and relatable for us in another way. It's non-relatable for us in this. God makes specific promises to Abram that He has not made to us. He promises Abram land. He promises Abram physical posterity. He promises Abram reputation. He promises Abram protection. All of these things are loaded in here in what God promises to Abram. These are specific things that God promised to Abram that he does not 
has not promised us. You can go through your whole life faithfully worshiping Yahweh, with Yahweh keeping every one of His promises to you. And you may never own a parcel of land. You may never have a child in your family. You may not have a great name. And you may not enjoy physical protection the way that God promises here to protect Abram. God does not promise these things to us. The Lord said to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. We would be wrong to read this and buy a plane ticket to a distant land standing on the promises of God. Right? We would be wrong to, to start claiming these blessings. Oh Lord, we read in Your Word that You have said, go up from Your country and Your kindred and Your Father's house to the land that I will show you. We claim these things. We want to get a foothold here. And nonsense. The Lord said to Abram, and so these things are non-relatable in one way. And that these promises are made to Abram and not to us. But these things are relatable in another sense. That Abram was to take Yahweh as his God. Reprioritizing allegiance to Yahweh above any other allegiance. God would not have tolerated Abram continuing to worship the idols that he was presently worshiping at this time. Well, at the same time, at the same time responding to Yahweh as if those two things could coexist. God would not have tolerated Abram remaining an idol worshiper while at the same time becoming a Yahweh worshiper. That's not how it works. You either worship the true God or you don't. But the worship of the true God cannot be, is never syncretistic. You cannot worship other gods and worship Yahweh at the same time. And so Abram was to take Yahweh as his God reprioritizing allegiance to Yahweh above any other allegiance. Clearly, he was to prioritize allegiance to Yahweh over allegiance to his country. Allegiance to his land, as it says in verse 1. Abram was to prioritize allegiance to Yahweh over allegiance to his kindred. He was to prioritize allegiance to Yahweh over allegiance to his father's house. These things are explicit in the text. And it's implicit in the text, knowing what we know of Yahweh's character as revealed in the rest of Scripture, that God would not allow Yahweh to come with idols in his backpack, as it were. Abram must reprioritize his allegiance. Allegiance to Yahweh above allegiance to anything else. And we can relate to God's call of Abram in that same way. For what does our Lord Jesus Christ say in Luke 14 and verse 33? Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
You cannot, you cannot be a true worshiper of Yahweh without letting go of anything and everything else. You cannot hold tightly to other things and take hold of Yahweh, the true and living God. God, when we open our grip on other things so that they're sitting in our hand, our open hand as it were, God does not always take the things that we have released our grip on. Sometimes God permits a brother or a sister not to literally lose everything in following Him. Sometimes we respond to this call to let go of everything else and take hold of Yahweh. So we open this grip on our family. And yet God allows us to have, to keep our family. God allows us to maintain good relationships with our family all the way to our grave, so on and so forth. God, in calling us to renounce our idolatry of our career, to hold our career with a looser grip, we might open our hand and God allows us to keep our career. He may not choose to take it from us when we stop clinging to it. He may allow, allow us to keep it. For most of us in this room, I suspect that the call to follow Christ hasn't had nearly as severe consequences as it has for many others in the world and throughout history. For sometimes God does call a brother or sister literally to lose everything in following Him or to pay a heavy toll in following Him. There was a young woman I baptized a number of years ago whose family ostracized her when she came to Christ Jesus. They still continued to relate to her, but it put severe relational distance between them. But she had to choose to be willing to let go of family in order to worship and follow the one true God. Other people's families have not merely put distance, but other people's families have abandoned and cut off a member of the family who has chosen to worship the one true God. Some families have killed their own kin, their own blood, because a son or a daughter or a nephew or a niece has chosen to worship the one true God. Brothers and sisters really have lost jobs, livelihoods, been exiled from their place of residence because they have come to worship the one true God. This call of Abram is relatable to us in this sense, that when God calls to us to own Him as our God, we have to be at least prepared in principle that whatever else it costs us, I will follow. I will answer the call. So this call of God to Abram is non-relatable to us in one aspect, 
Namely, that there are specific promises made to Him that are not made to us. But it's relatable to us in that other sense. In that it's a call to ultimate allegiance to Yahweh. At whatever cost. So the first thing that we see in this passage about the call of Abram was the call was fundamentally to trust God's promises. The second thing we're going to see is that receiving the call cost Abram nothing. Receiving the call cost Abram nothing. Some theological concepts introduced already in Genesis that undergird our interpretation of this story is this. First, man's guilt and corruption. We see in Genesis 3, Adam falling into sin. And in doing so, he doesn't fall merely as an individual, but he plunges the whole human race into both guilt and corruption. Not only does the human race become guilty of sin because of Adam's disobedience, but the whole human race becomes corrupt. And we saw that playing out. We've seen it playing out in several ways since. We see that Abram, or pardon me, that Adam fathered a son in his own likeness, Seth. We've seen that Cain killed Abel. We've seen even that a, an otherwise good man, Noah, got drunk and passed out in his tent. We've seen that human nature, ever since Adam's fallen into sin, really is fallen, really is corrupt. We've seen that strictly speaking, properly speaking, already in the biblical narrative, there is none righteous, no, not one. We might be better, some people might be better or worse than others, as Abel was more righteous than Cain, as Shem was more righteous than Ham, but compared to, measured against God's law, all have turned aside. All have become worthless. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. These things are true already in the biblical narrative. And it's no different with Abram. As I alluded to already, Abram was an idol worshiper at this time. We read in Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, Joshua recounting the history of Israelites. And he says to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. They served other gods. Abram is corrupt in this passage here. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, when the Lord said to Abram, Go! Abram at that time was an idol worshiper. He was serving other gods. And so what we see, what we, uh, the second theological concept that we've seen already in Genesis, which should undergird our interpretation of this story, is not only man's corruption and guilt, but secondly, God's grace. Anyone that God deals with after the fall of Adam into sin, anyone that God deals with, He deals with on the basis of grace. We've seen this with Abel. 
Even Abel had to bring a blood sacrifice. Even Abel needed a substitute. We've seen this with Noah. That Noah needed to avail himself of the gracious provision that God made to save him from his coming wrath. God did not owe Noah the ark. We've seen this already. That those who walk with God ever since the fall of Adam into sin walk with God by faith in His gracious provision of salvation. Nobody, nobody earns their relationship with God. We've seen this already in Genesis. Not to go on, not even to mention verses later on in Scripture that make this so, so explicit. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace, brothers and sisters, this is the nature of true religion ever since the fall of Adam into sin. So, as God dealt graciously with Abel, as God dealt graciously with Noah, as God dealt graciously with Shem, God is now dealing graciously with Abram. Receiving the call cost Abram nothing. He didn't earn this call that the Lord would come to him to reward him. To give him what he was due for his merit. This call of Abram is gracious. We see further to hammer this point home that God has begun to show not only grace to the human race, but discriminating grace within the human race. God has been already in the biblical storyline electing individuals to salvation and not others. You want to talk about the biblical doctrine of election? We could go to Romans chapter 9, or we could go to Ephesians chapter 1, or we could come all the way back here to Genesis and just look and observe the way God deals with the human race. God is not dealing with everybody the same in these passages, and we need to see that. And the reason He's not dealing with everybody the same is not that some people deserve God's grace and other people don't deserve God's grace. The reason God is dealing differently with people is according to His own sovereign pleasure. The purpose of His will. God is already dealing with the human race in terms of sovereign election. Just review what we've covered already. God is dealing primarily with Seth's descendants and not Cain's. God is primarily dealing with Shem's descendants and not Canaan's. God is not dealing with all the families of the earth in the same way. There are prophets in this line and we, uh, we don't read about any prophets in that line. But then we, we think about individuals. Not all in Seth's line were saved. In fact, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we see that there was a universal degeneracy into sin. Such that Noah seems to have been the only God-fearing man on the earth. 
So even though God had dealt more kindly with Seth's descendants than Cain's descendants, even within Seth's line, God saved Noah and let all the others perish in the flood. Presumably, not all in Shem's line are saved either. Shem's son, or pardon me, Noah's son, Shem. Presumably, they're not all saved either. We read this genealogy, these couple genealogies, getting us from the end of the flood narrative all the way to the beginning of Abram's life, chapters 10 and 11, a couple of genealogies. And we have no reason to think that there is a great revival and a great consolidation of true religion throughout this period. It doesn't seem that when God called to Abram in chapter 12 and verse 1 that He's calling Abram to unite himself with this big multitude of the faithful in some other area of the world. Rather, it seems more like, again, all people who had spread themselves abroad were all worshipping false gods and God singles Abram out to be a true worshiper. But we get the sense from this passage that he's in the minority. And we certainly see, this is foreshadowing a little bit, but we certainly see that among Abram's descendants, not all are treated the same way. In fact, Paul's argument in Romans 9 is drawn from Abram's descendants. So Paul is seeing the doctrine of election way back in Genesis. Like I just told you. Jacob and not Esau. So again, grace. Grace. Nobody, including Abram, deserves or is owed a word from the Lord. An invitation to come and take shelter under the wings of the Almighty. Nobody is owed that. The Lord does not come to reward Abram. Just as the Lord has not come to reward anyone else before Abram. He's dealing with people by grace. So this reception of the call cost Abram nothing. It wasn't a reward. He didn't pay any cost or jump over any bar in order that the Lord would come to him and invite him and call him to own Yahweh as his God. It cost Abram nothing. And the call of God has cost us, cost us nothing to receive it. The call of God cost us nothing to receive it. We pay no cost to hear the Gospel. To hear that sweet invitation to own Yahweh as our God. To take shelter under His wings. You did not hear the Gospel because you were a good person. You did not hear the Gospel, this invitation that Christ Jesus would come into your life to bring you life abundant, to pardon you for your sin, to reconcile you to God. You did not hear that call because you paid some cost. 
You heard that call because God was gracious to you. And so just as the Lord's call of Abram was gracious, it cost Abram nothing to receive that call. So it cost you nothing to receive that call, to hear that good news that you might be saved, that you might be reconciled to God. It cost you nothing. One day, I don't know with all of you how you came to faith in the first place, but whether it was a parent speaking to you of the things of Christ, whether it was a pastor preaching to you of the things of Christ, whether it was reading in the Scriptures, whether it was reading in an extra-biblical book, whenever it was that you heard the one true and living God, Yahweh, call to you and say, as it were, own me as your God. Reprioritize your allegiance such that your allegiance to me is above your allegiance to everything else and I will take care of you. I will be your God. Whenever it was that you received that call, Christian, it was not because you had purchased that call. That you had put God in your obligation to extend that call to you in some men. No, it was a gracious call and it was because of the purpose of election. Just as it was for Abram. That God looked, as it were, on the sea of humanity, all of whom had turned aside, all of whom had become worthless, all of whom, like sheep, had gone astray, all of whom had turned aside, everyone, to His own way. God looked upon that sea of humanity and He called Abram according to His sovereign purpose. And Christian, He called you according to His sovereign purpose. Not because you are better, wiser, smarter, more moral than anyone else, but because of His sovereign pleasure, His electing love. It cost you nothing, just as it cost Abram nothing, to receive that call. (coughs) You may be sitting here tonight, (coughs) not yet having trusted in Christ Jesus. But as we go on, you're going to hear that invitation. To trust in Christ and to own Yahweh as your God take shelter under His wings. And you need to know that you are not hearing the Gospel because you deserve it. You are not hearing the Gospel because you are owed the Gospel. You're hearing the Gospel because of God's grace. So the, the call is to trust God's promises. Receiving the call cost Abram nothing. Thirdly, answering the call cost Abram Everything. Answering the call cost Abram everything. In the short term, the imperative to Abram was to leave a city for a tent. Hebrews 11 tells us that he went to live with Isaac and with Jacob in tents. To leave a city for a tent. 
to leave nationality to be a sojourner, to leave land for a place where he would not in his lifetime receive even a foot's length to call his own, to leave family to be a stranger. In the short term, this was what was facing Abram, and he was 75 years old. Answering God's call would have been very hard for Abram. Augustine, or Augustine, however you like to say that, said this, To whom is not his own little hut more pleasant than foreign palaces, and a house of his own choice than scattered estates? For whom is it not a hard thing to leave behind those walls that witnessed one's birth, those sweet thresholds and kindly hearth, which both the memory of parents and the first experiences of infancy itself command. Therefore, in the midst of these things so pleasant and so sweet, which must have been left with the greatest difficulty, go out, God says, from your land. Who would be glad to hear this? Augustine says, without the power of faith. It would have been very hard. It would have been very hard for Abram. Answering the call cost Abram everything. Everything he knew. Up from his land, up from his kindred, up from his father's house. Everything he had built, every plan that perhaps was hidden in his breast at that time, everything he had been scheming to do, to accomplish, everything on his bucket list, all of that now reoriented because of the call of Yahweh. So it is with us. The call costs nothing to receive. But it may cause everything to answer. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, in response to somebody who says to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus answered, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus called to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Jesus says do not pardon me beginning at verse 34 do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth I have not come to bring peace but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Answering the call of Christ is hard, and it may be very costly. Again, as we talked about in the beginning, sometimes we reprioritize our allegiance, such that we say, yes, I am ready to lose anything and everything if only I may follow Christ. If only I may be reconciled to God. If only I may live that new life. If only I may experience communion with God. And in the hereafter be received unto Him. To dwell with Him forever. In a new heavens and a new earth. I am ready to let go of everything. And God graciously does not take everything from us. Sometimes that is the way. But you cannot answer the call without being ready to lose everything. So that your career comes into jeopardy, let it go. Let it go. Your relationships with various members of your family come into jeopardy, let them go. The priority to follow God and to live according to His precepts comes into conflict with remaining in the house that you presently live. Let it go. The country in which you presently live. Let it go. Wherever this road takes me, I will continue walking and not turn back. Sometimes the call of Christ does not come into conflict with other things in our life. Sometimes we can be a good Christian and have a good relationship with our spouse. Sometimes we can be a good Christian and keep the same career for 40 years. Sometimes we can be a good Christian and die in the house we were born in. Sometimes we can be a good Christian and be buried in the land of our forefathers where our ancestors are buried, our kinsmen. But sometimes we cannot be a Christian and have a good relationship with our spouse. 
Sometimes we cannot be a good Christian and keep our career. Sometimes we cannot be a good Christian and remain in the same living situation. Sometimes we cannot be a good Christian and remain in the same country. Sometimes we look at the commands of God and we see the command of God on one hand. And we see the path that will preserve these other things on the other hand. And we recognize that we are at a fork in the road. And we choose not to answer the call of Yahweh and to hang on to our marriage, to hang on to our home, to hang on to our career, to hang on to our family. Or we choose to answer the call of God. Letting the chips fall where they may. Losing some of these other things. Sometimes we come to those points. And we have to be ready to let these things go. We have to be ready. And I think we all know this. In the most extreme situation. We have to be ready to hold fast to God. When someone puts a gun to our head. Says renounce, recant. The answer must be, kill me and you will only send me into eternal blessedness with Christ my Savior who will get me across the Jordan. I think we know we're supposed to do that. Well, brothers and sisters, the point that Jesus is making in all of these discipleship passages is that even on this side of the Jordan, you cannot... Seek to maintain the status quo and be a faithful disciple. It cannot be your priority to go through life hanging on to your family, hanging on to your career, hanging on to your home, hanging on to your economic stability. Those cannot be your priorities. Well, at the same time, you claim to follow Christ. You have to be ready to make all those little decisions all the way through your life. Where the call of God bumps up against these things, I will always choose the call of God. Even if it makes me destitute. Even if it makes me lonely. Etc., etc. So just as answering the call costs Abram everything, sometimes it may cost us a great deal as well. call of God is to trust His promises, reprioritizing our allegiance ultimately to Him and holding loosely everything else. Receiving the call costs nothing. We don't earn this invitation to be a disciple of Christ. We don't earn this invitation that Yahweh might be our God and that we might come and take shelter under His wings. We don't earn this. Receiving the call costs us nothing. But really answering the call may cost us a great deal. But fourthly, did I say three things at the start? I think I should have said four. It's a bonus point. Abram let go of everything and lost nothing. Abram let go of everything and lost nothing. Abram left 
a city for a tent. Abram left nationality to be an immigrant. Abram left a family to be a stranger. And in that sense, he lost everything. But Abram gained, brothers and sisters, a city that has foundations. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Verse 8, pardon me. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. But verse 10, what did he gain by losing a city to go live in a tent? What did he gain? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, the city he left had no foundations. Not a city that has foundations, the city that has foundations. In other words, think about this. The is singular. There is only one city that has foundations. What that means is that Bridgetown doesn't have foundations. Toronto doesn't have foundations. London. Bangkok. Tokyo. New York. None of them have foundations. There is one city that has foundations. Abram left nationality to be an immigrant. But we see in Hebrews chapter 12 that he received, as we receive, verse 28, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Where is the great civilization of Ur? Buried in the sand somewhere. Brothers and sisters, the civilization that he left was shaken. Should the Lord tarry long enough, the civilization that we live in shall be shaken. Empires rise and empires fall. But that kingdom shall never be shaken. And Abram left a family to be a stranger. But gained a family that is everlasting. We read, of course, in John chapter 1. Whoever believed in His name is the Son. God gave the right to become children of God. We read in Romans 4 that Abram believed. Abraham became a son of God. And we become sons of God when we believe as well. When we become, therefore, is Abraham's brothers. Or as the Scripture puts it, speaking another way, Abraham's sons. In any case, in Abram's family. He left a family to be a stranger somewhere. But he became known unto God, known unto us. And one day we will recline with Abraham at table in the kingdom of heaven.
So Abram left a city for a tent. Nationality to be an immigrant. A family to be a stranger. Answering God's call cost him a lot in this life. But Abraham giving up so much actually lost nothing. It was a net gain. And so it is with us. That hearing this gospel call to turn away from idols as Abram turned away from idols. To stop prioritizing other things ultimately. Whether they be literal blocks of wood and stone or whether they be ideologies and philosophies or whether they be things that we value, money, possessions, whether they be family, friends, relationships. We're called to turn away from these things ultimately and embrace this call to be Yahweh's people. That He will be our God. To come and take shelter under His wings by faith in Christ Jesus. It may cost us a great deal. But we will find that when we pay that cost, it's a net gain. It's a net gain. We lose nothing. Jesus speaks to this in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. God's call to the world. The general call goes out to all. We're to preach the gospel indiscriminately. We're not supposed to look for the elect as if we could determine who God in His eternal counsel has predestined to save. We just preach the gospel to all. And the invitation goes like this. Come. As it says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy milk, wine and milk without money and without price. The invitation goes like this. You have nothing in yourself to speak of. You have nothing in your hands to bring to a God who formed the heavens and the earth with a word. You have nothing in your hands to bring sinners to a God who is holy without the slightest spot or blemish. You have nothing in your hands to bring that might obligate God to you. But God comes to you with an invitation saying, Come and be mine. Be my son. Be my daughter. Come and be mine without money and without price. I will give you the best of the land. Milk and wine, these these signify fine things. I will be your God and you shall be my people. I will pardon your sin. I will 
reconcile you to Myself. I will take you and own you for a son or for a daughter. And I will be to you a father. It is My good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Come to Me. It's as if God is saying. Trust in Christ Jesus and Him alone. You have nothing in your hands to bring, but Christ Jesus brings His own righteousness in His hands to Me on your behalf. And you have nothing in your hands to bring, but Christ Jesus intercedes, pleading the blood of His cross to Me on your behalf. And I am pleased for Christ's sake to pardon and to receive to Myself any and all who will come. This is the invitation that goes out far and wide. And this is the invitation to all of us tonight. It costs us nothing to hear it. But you can't answer that call half-heartedly. To answer that call is to say, whatever else I may lose, I must gain Christ. Whatever else I lose, I have to be in God's family. Whatever else I lose, I must be reconciled to this God. Whatever else I lose, and I mean anything, whatever it costs me, I must, when I close my eyes in death, I must know that I am going to live with Him. You have to answer that call wholeheartedly with your whole life. But when you do, Jesus says in those verses that I just read you from Mark chapter 10, when you do, when you do and you lose, you leave house, you leave brothers and sisters, you leave mothers and fathers, you leave children or lands, you lose these things. When it strains your marriage to answer the call of Christ, when it costs you economically to answer the call of Christ, when it introduces tension into your friendships to answer the call of Christ, when it means that you cannot live the American dream, you cannot say, use your money to save for the things that you have been planning because Christ calls you to invest elsewhere and otherwise. When and insofar as the call of Christ conflicts with these things and you have to let these other things go. What Jesus is saying in this passage is it's still a net gain. Whoever loses these things for my sake and for the Gospel, Mark 10.30, will receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, He says. Now in this time. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now in this time, I just want to spend a minute thinking about that. Because how are you going to get a hundred mothers and fathers, a hundred children, a hundred houses, a hundredfold the lands that you forewent to follow the call of Christ? How are you going to get that now in this time? Let me answer that simply and profoundly. In the church. God's plan is that the church would not be this anemic institution where men come up here to the front and tell jokes and stories and 
this and that and entertain or talk politics or invite unregenerate politicians even to come up here and speak. God, God has not ordained that the church would be this place that you go to once a week for some superficial gathering where you hear some trite inspiration that you could read elsewhere like in Chicken Soup for the Soul. God has ordained that the church would be something far more meaningful than that. That the church would be a gathering of people who are loved by God. That the church would be His treasured possession. That the church would be a family where not only is each one a son or a daughter loved by Him, but where we are brothers and sisters loved by and loving one another. Where we become brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to each other. And where our houses become one another's houses. Where you feel like you can, where you feel at home. You have a hundred places now where you feel at home. Now that you've come to Christ. Now that you've come into His church. Maybe you lost one, but now you have a hundred. Maybe your family turned their back on you, but now there are a hundred mothers and a hundred fathers and a hundred brothers or a hundred sisters. There are a hundred children, little ones running around (laughs) that you love dearly, who look up to you who you can watch grow, who you can speak into their lives. A hundred mothers, a hundred fathers, a hundred children, a hundred houses, a hundred lands. In this life, now, with persecutions. This is not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, brothers and sisters. And in the age to come, eternal life. Listen, you may lose a lot of things, But when you really answer the call of Christ and you get into a church where other people are really answering the call of Christ, now, even in this life, that's a win. And in the age to come, eternal life, that's a win too. So the call of Abram is unrelatable to us in the sense that God made specific promises to Abram that He doesn't make to us. But it's relatable to us in the sense that God's call to Abram was to let go of everything else that He gripped so tightly that He might take hold of Yahweh. And that's the same thing that God calls us to do. To have faith in that same Messiah that Abram had faith in. That promised one who would crush the head of the serpent, namely Jesus Christ. To take hold of that same Savior. To be justified by that same grace. To be called into that same family. To be built together with Abram into that same nation. It's relatable to us in that sense. Hearing the call costs nothing. It comes to us by free grace. This gospel call is gracious. Gracious. 
Nobody earns an invitation of God to be His children. But brothers and sisters, friends, answering this call, answering this call may cost us everything. The call is not to just add Christ into your life, to make Him part of your life. Maybe you've got things 95% figured out, but there's just that 5%, that little God-shaped 5% hole in your life. The call is not to add Jesus into that little 5% so that you'll be fulfilled. The call is to reprioritize everything, to let go of everything else that you're holding on to so tightly that you might take hold of Yahweh. And it may cost you a lot. It may cost you everything. But like Abram, when we answer that call, even when it costs us a great deal, in the end, it costs us nothing. It's a net gain. So may we be encouraged to hold loosely to other things, to hold tightly to Yahweh, to answer that call day by day in all the little ways. And if you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet trusting in Christ, answer that call in a decisive and definitive way today. To hold fast to Yahweh, the one true God. To make Him your God. To put all your faith, all your trust, all your confidence in Christ. Whatever it costs you. Trust in Him. Make Yahweh your God. Grab hold of Him by faith. Be reconciled to God even today. You'll find that in the end, whatever it may cost you in this life, it's a net gain.